A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Katie Gossett. And I'm Alison Balance. And welcome to the science of. The Science Of is RNZ's newest podcast about everyday science. So what are we doing today, Katie? Well, today we tackle the science of meth houses. So brace yourself. We're going to be poking into drains, swabbing the walls and heading into the lab to analyse meth samples. Excellent. Hello. Hello, you must be Graham. I am indeed, I am Graham. Nice to meet you. You too. Well, this is the property. I see, and I can immediately see that... Uh, we could be it, quite discreet here, getting all kitted up and everything else, so... It's very private, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, absolutely. So, Katie, who's that? That is Graham Martin. He works for a company called Meth Solutions, testing homes for methamphetamine. And why were you being so discreet? Well, when you go into a house where meth's been cooked or even smoked, you need to wear a lot of protective gear. And I suppose a homeowner might not want the neighbours to see people coming and going in white suits. Fair enough. First thing we do when we come on site for something like this is we actually do a wander around the outside. We're looking for any perhaps evidence of meth activity or whatever. Uh, so we have a peek through windows, just look, you know, look around the outside, look at drains, etc. So. Right, so we're beating our path through the flats here. And looking into the sitting room. Anything there that's of concern? Nothing, nothing that I'm sort of seeing, except that the place is very dirty. Where are you, Katie? Now, I can't reveal that, Alison. Sorry. I can say it's in Christchurch, but that's all. But I am going to tell you more about the science of meth houses. So the kind of chemicals that get left in a home where the drug's been baked or used there. And what about the safety of meth houses afterwards? Yep, yep, we'll look at that too. So what the risks of living there might be. So how much meth can you safely have in a house? I mean, is there actually a set concentration you can have and it'll still be safe? Well, that's the million-dollar question. And the current Ministry of Health limit for houses where meth's been cooked, as opposed to smoked, is half a millionth of a gram. So no more than 0.5 micrograms of meth per 100 square centimetres. Yeah, can you explain that a bit more? <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Dr Nick Kim is a public health toxicologist, and look, he explains it really well. If you took one grain of salt and divided it into a thousand small pieces and then dissolve one of those thousand small pieces into a drop of water and spread it over a wall area 10 by 10 centimetres square and then let it dry, that's the guideline value. So it's like a thousandth of a grain of salt spread over that area. Oof, that doesn't sound like much. No, no, it doesn't. But if it's a house where meth's just been smoked, you're actually allowed to have three or four times that amount. But for a lab, it's the more stringent limit of 0.5, although there's been a lot of debate about that number too. And Standards New Zealand is about to bring in new rules on this whole issue. But we'll get to that. So first, you've been at this particular meth house, and by the way, Katie, are we calling it methamphetamine, meth or pee? Well, we actually have some choice there. I found a website that's got more than 800 nicknames for meth. 
Oh, go on, such as? Well, everything from all tweekend long, buzzard dust, chicken flipping <laughs> at the start of the alphabet, right through to whacked, white lady and zoom. And those are really just the more PC ones that we can say on this podcast. Chicken flipping's quite good, isn't it? Do you have a favourite? Mm, I'm leaning towards devil's dandruff. Oh, nice. And of course, meth is often being talked about in songs too, sometimes ambiguously. But this one from the old Crow Medicine Show doesn't use any of those fancy names. The song is just called Methamphetamine. It's gonna rock you till you're down on your knees. It's gonna have you begging pretty please. It's gonna rock you like a hurricane. So, Alison, have you ever tried meth yourself? Uh, no. Uh, what about you? No, no. So we're in the majority, which is probably predictable. Ministry of Health figures show 0.9% of our adult population, or almost 34,000 people, have admitted to using meth. Katie, that doesn't sound like very many when you compare it to, say, the 400,000 people who've admitted using cannabis in the last few years. No, well, true. But the outgoing president of the Police Association, Greg O'Connor, says meth is causing major problems. It's all about meth. That so much of our work now, particularly around violence, robberies, burglaries, is based on either meth use or the need to get money to buy meth or to pay off meth debts. We're seeing 15% increases in burglaries, in robberies. At every level, we're hearing that it's all about meth. So that's why we're hearing about all these meth houses with residues in them then. Yes, but of course some of those houses that test positive for meth aren't necessarily labs, so they might just be places where a lot of meth has been smoked. Now that house you went to, were there any clues there as to what's been going on? Well, the detective work began before we even got inside. So that was the drain? That's one of the drains, yes. And what does that tell you, anything? Well, I'm just looking for any corrosive activity because it's certainly when you're manufacturing this stuff, um, you know, drains get quite corrosive, so that's what we're looking for. How many labs are found in New Zealand each year? 55 so far this year. Greg O'Connor says that compares with 67 last year, and he says more finished product is coming into the country now from places like China. But we're still hearing about local operations, aren't we? There were two labs busted in the North Island just recently. Yep, that's true. Police staff are saying there's just as much being baked here as before, maybe even more. But Greg O'Connor says it's the nature of meth manufacture that's moved on. So the labs used to be bigger and it was often the smell of solvents that gave the game away. Now he says the cooks have got smarter, basically. They've reduced the number of chemical processes and the labs are more mobile, so they're harder to find. So what if someone's just been smoking the drug as opposed to cooking it? Is there a difference in terms of the chemicals left behind? Is one safer than the other? Well, that's a good point, and it's one that's quite controversial. RNZ News. I'm Nicola Wright at 7 o'clock. Top government officials have repeatedly warned Housing New Zealand it is misusing meth testing guidelines to evict its tenants. But they have been ignored. Health Ministry guidelines designed for the clean-up of meth labs have been used to clear out state houses where the drug has been smoked. 
Hundreds of tenants have been evicted on the basis of tiny... I've been hearing that in the news heaps lately. Now, as I mentioned, the Ministry's recently changed the rules, so you're now allowed to have slightly higher levels of meth, 1.5 to 2 micrograms, in homes where it's just been smoked. But it's kept that original threshold of 0.5 micrograms for houses that were labs. That's the grain of salt divided into a 1,000. That's right. So why are the levels different? Well, the Ministry says cooking the drug releases volatile chemicals into the air. Now, they can carry meth into a home's wallboards and carpets, so there's a lot more contamination. The Ministry's spokesperson, Dr Stuart Jessamine, says smoking has much less impact. If you have a house where methamphetamine is just being used and um, smoked, what you're releasing is just methamphetamine. And so therefore, the methamphetamine doesn't penetrate as deeply into wooden surfaces or wallboard surfaces and is easier to clean uh, and so therefore um, the surface contamination is less of an issue than with the manufacturer. And is it easy for the people sampling to work out the difference? Well, not really. When it comes to just meth, Nick Kim says it can be almost impossible to work out whether it was cooked a long time ago or smoked recently. It's the presence of those other volatile chemicals in the cooking part that offer a few clues. With manufacturing, you should end up with a higher concentration of methamphetamine on the wall initially um, than, than you'd expect with smoking. But, in fact, uh, in order to determine uh, really categorically that manufacturing took place, you'd need to analyse for a range of other residues which are associated with the different manufacturing methods. And what about this Christchurch house you visited? Do you know if that was use or manufacture? Probably use, but we didn't know that for sure, although it had been tested before, and Graham says initial sampling showed there was meth present. A reasonably high amount, and so the process now is that we go through, do what we have to, and come up with a plan for remediation. Uh, which is the aim of what we're here for today. I haven't seen any signs of manufacture, but we don't know till we get inside. All right, so what happens from here? Right, we'll get kitted up now. I have in my hot little hand a mask that is newly purchased. Right. So I'm going to need you to help me put the filters on. Okay, I'm not quite sure not, how to do that. So. That's not a problem. Can help you with that. Was this just one of those ordinary face masks like you can buy at any hardware store? No, no, it was a, it was a bit more high-end than that, uh, a bit more sophisticated. So on my way to the mystery property, I actually went to New Zealand Safety Blackwoods, and there I got what's known as a half-face particulate mask, and I also had to have it personally fitted. Pop it on. You need to make sure it's sealing around your face. You need to cover up those two holes. It should suck suction back onto your face. If you breathe, breathe in. Well, it's the smallest mask that we do, so yeah, that's going to be the, the best one for you. Now, do people often come in to get masks for meth-related properties? Occasionally. Yeah, we certainly do see a few, uh, especially in the last few years. OK, so back at the property, we were getting ready to go inside. Uh, there was talk of white suits. There was, there was, and look, it took me a full 13 minutes to get dressed. And I was really quite a sight in my suit and hood. There is a deeply unflattering shot of me on our webpage, if you want to go and have a look. Love to. So this rustling is the sound of a, the voluminous suit being shaken out. Putting on overshoes to protect my shoes against any contamination that may be in the dwelling. These will be disposed of at the end of the... And of the work we do. Okay, so for the listeners, I now have the mask on. I've got the two microphones 
peeking out of the corners of my suit. So there'll be a lot of muffled rustling and I'm going to ask you, Graham, to speak as loudly as you can when you're pointing something out to me. Okay. So we'll do our best. Yes, we'll do our best. Okay. Yeah. So we're entering the property now. So did it smell? Not really, no, no, no particular smell and nothing obvious to be seen. But for Graham, each job involves a really detailed inspection. So he goes through each room and he puts on a second pair of gloves before he takes every sample. What I'm doing is laying out the sites I'm going to be testing the, uh, doing my left testing, taking my samples from. I'm looking for areas of uh, airflow out through windows top of doors, then I'll go back and do the actual sample. Before he takes the samples, what kind of chemicals is he actually looking for? We heard before that the way labs operate has changed, but generally speaking, how is meth made? Well, Nick Kim says, so obviously without giving the recipe away, there are three main techniques. So one involves a hydrogen iodine reduction method. Then there's another one that involves mercury amalgam and a third one using anhydrous ammonia. Yeah. They all rely on different chemical reactions, but Dr Kim says they all probably use heat and some kind of solvent. Other things that could be involved, though, uh, would include heavy metals, depending on the production method, uh, phosphorus, Iodine, although that's not particularly hazardous, and ammonia, and acids. So you can have uh, sulfuric acid, uh, hydrochloric acid. Um, when we talk about solvents, um, things like benzene, which is a carcinogen, or pyridine, which can make you infertile, uh, all the way through to acetone, which is relatively harmless, but you still wouldn't want to breathe in high concentrations. That's quite a cocktail. It is, it is. Or, you know, it's actually more like two cocktails. So. When we talk about a lab, probably a lot of people out there are imagining Breaking Bad, the TV show. Dr Kim says in that kind of situation, what gets left behind falls roughly into two categories. So what's in the air and what's on the surfaces. So the first we've heard a wee bit about already, that's the volatile chemicals in the air, things that you can inhale like solvent residues. You'd be able to smell those. Yes, exactly. So you asked me before about the Christchurch house and if it smelt, and that is usually the rule of thumb. So if you can smell something chemical, the place needs airing out. Is that all? Well, not necessarily. See, the problem is that some solvents can linger on in liquid form, forming reservoirs in the roof or behind walls. So soft furnishings may need to be removed and sometimes the wall linings too. With a sort of Breaking Bad-style laboratory, fairly large operation, uh, the risks primarily would be initially be from solvents that people can inhale, so things that are, that are in the air. And a fair proportion of these labs were discovered as a result of explosions in the first place because the solvents are also flammable. So um, those properties can be hazardous just to go into in the first place, so the first people entering them might, might need to have respirators really to protect their health. And the first priority is really to clean up the air, which will have solvent residues in it. And the other issue is with what you inhale... When something's in air, it's, it's intrinsically a higher exposure risk because your lungs are so efficient at absorbing what's in the air that if, if solvent's in air and you can still smell it in the property, then that's, that's something you, you really wouldn't want to live with over the long term. Now, the second category, your cocktail, is the stuff on the surfaces. 
That's right. And those are the semi-volatile or the non-volatile things that can be touched. So either you'd absorb them through your skin or, for example, a child might put their hand to their mouth and ingest the chemicals. And as we heard earlier, the meth itself is mostly found on the surfaces. So back at the house, that's where Graham's up to. Oh, cool. Can we hear you talking through your muffled mask again? At the moment, Graham is walking through the house attaching uh, little white cut-out squares to different parts of the house and it is within that square that he will be swabbing and taking the sample. And that happens in all meth house checks? Well, there's a whole industry based around meth contamination now, so the tests vary depending on the company. And maybe on what's been happening at the property? Yeah, exactly. Miles Stratford is the director of Meth Solutions, who Graham works for, and they offer two tests. One's an initial screening, so a very basic test that costs up to $300, and it's really just to establish if there's any meth there at all. So through the screening surface, uh, we've sampled over 8,000 properties around New Zealand now, from Invercargill through to Kaitai. Uh, of those, 40% have had some level of methane, um, everything from a little bit of use through to uh, large-scale manufacture. Uh, at the worst end of the scale, uh, one property just doesn't exist anymore. It's physically removed from the site along with the top 500 millimetres of dirt. Uh, in many, many other instances, nothing's had to happen because levels have been indicating well within guidelines. So say the swab comes back showing that there is meth present, Katie, what's the next step? So this particular company would do more detailed testing that uses individual kits for each part of the house, so it can get pricier, maybe up to $3,000 for a test. But there are plenty of companies that offer testing. You can also buy kits off the internet. Now, some people believe they aren't as reliable as lab testing, and Nick Kim says there's also the risk of cross-contamination and some inconsistencies in the sampling process. So far, I haven't really seen any suggestion that the analysis is a problem in the accredited laboratory. They seem to be getting you know, good, good analytical results uh, down to very low levels and, and doing their job very well. Uh, there do seem to be some problems with the sampling, at least some inconsistencies with the ways samples have been uh, collected, and I think that was the initial reason the Standards New Zealand process got kicked off. Right, so you mentioned that earlier. What is Standards New Zealand doing? It's basically preparing the country's first national standard for meth contamination. So there's a committee of about 20 industry people. Miles Stratford is one of them. The Ministry of Health is also represented. And what's the Ministry's view? Well, it was the Ministry that recommended having one threshold for labs and another higher one for places where meth's just been smoked. So it'll want that carried over into the new standard. The Ministry also got a report done by ESR, the Institute of Environmental Science and Research. It covers all the latest research on meth contamination, and it's gone to the committee too. Ah, there's lots of people involved in this. Who makes the final decision? Well, it's still up to the committee, but Dr Stuart Jessamine from the Ministry says if Standards New Zealand takes on its recommendations, it'll help the whole industry. Using evidence that's been collected in the last five years uh, sets a threshold that says if you do test and you find methamphetamine and some of these other chemicals used in manufacture, there are some things you have to do to make that house safe again. If you don't find the other chemicals and you just find methamphetamine, if the levels are low enough, the risk that that house poses to children is exceptionally small and, in fact, very little additional clean-up is required. Uh, so it sets a threshold that allows councils and Housing New Zealand and various other groups to make better informed choices about what's required. 
And what does scientists think about all this? Well, Nick Kim thinks the higher threshold for when it's just drug use makes sense. He says in the past, houses where people were just smoking were being needlessly condemned as contaminated, and it was probably making life harder for people. Seeing as I work in a school of public health, um, it's, it is probably relevant to note that if you're kicking someone out of their home for only having trace residues or forensic level residues of meth on their walls, you may be creating worse health problems <laughs> for that person and their family if they're living in a car or all this kind of thing. And he says the trace residues left behind after people have smoked meth would have little effect on health. So if it were possible to get a pharmacological effect at such a low dose, then then you'd think probably the addicts would have figured this out a long time ago and be rubbing themselves against the walls uh, or licking the walls. <laughs> and, you know, he says the really sensitive instruments that are available now make it possible to detect tiny amounts of chemicals. So it's not that surprising that meth's being found in all sorts of places. There's actually a reasonable chance that if your own wall was swabbed for meth, you may find it there's almost a certain chance that you have taken meth into your property because we now know that meth shows up on New Zealand banknotes. Um, the, the ones you're carrying around at the moment may have meth on them. So uh, the recent tests that were done for meth on residues on New Zealand banknotes are the first uh, that I'm aware of where meth has been tested for on, on notes. And all of the notes were found to have meth on them that were tested. And that's, that's actually a new international best for New Zealand. We're punching above our weight again. Because uh, the, the previous high I'd found in the international literature is 43% of notes in Birmingham, Alabama. So, Katie, are you planning to go home and get your own wall swabbed now? I am sorely tempted, Alison, but then I start to think, well, would I really want to know? So <laughs> I'll keep you posted on that one. Hey, speaking of New Zealand punching above its weight, how does our threshold measure up against other countries? Well, Australia's got the same guideline as us, but in the US, across the different states, it ranges from 0.1 micrograms, which is quite stringent, to 1.5, and that's three times our limit. Nick Kim's view is that you'd really have to be almost 25 times above our threshold to reach the lowest point at which you could plausibly see a health effect on a toddler. So there's quite a safety margin in there. Yes. Yeah, but he says the current threshold is still appropriate for labs because the meth acts as a kind of gauge for other organic compounds, so things that might be on the surfaces but you wouldn't normally test for. One reason for a very low number in the meth guidelines is that you can be fairly confident that if you've cleaned down all the way to half a millionth of a gram per 100 square centimetres for methamphetamine, then any other compounds that were with it were also cleaned down to sort of such a low level they couldn't cause a health effect. But you said there's been debate, so obviously not everyone agrees with that figure. No, they don't. So Dr Jackie Wright runs an environmental risk assessment firm in Australia. She helped develop their government's guidelines for the clean-up of meth houses. She's also just written a PhD thesis looking at this whole issue of meth contamination. She believes our current threshold should be tougher. From my current research and other research that's, that's available to date now... I believe the 0.5 isn't sufficiently health protective. I think it should come down exactly to what level we'd need to spend a bit of time working out what that would be. You know, if, you, if it's going to come down, it needs to come down to a level that's also practical to be able to measure and distinguish from a lab perspective. But certainly from a health protection perspective, as someone who's working in the public health area, my opinion is that it needs to be lower. 
Dr Wright started her PhD because she wanted to know more about how meth gets into the body and in what volumes. And she's been analysing hair samples from people exposed to meth houses. And what's her verdict? She says she's got solid evidence that people can end up with high levels of meth in the body and she says children are most at risk. There's a lot of methamphetamine that has been getting into the hair of these children and um, we've got the same sort of levels that you would get in the hair of long-term adult drug users and other children that have been in homes where people are actually smoking or manufacturing meth. So these have been associated with actual health effects and we can start looking at at what concentrations are we seeing in the environment that those effects are occurring. What are these health effects? Well, they're both physical and psychological, and again, she says it's the kids we should be most worried about. Respiratory problems, um, behavioural issues, um, which have been defined as sort of an inattentive ADHD type of issue, they do manifest in somewhat different ways in some different children. Some of it's to do with higher levels of anxiety and and, um, moodiness. But we also see some skin problems, as well as... um, one of the big ones is, is changes in sleep patterns, in particular poor sleeping habits. And that off that feeds a number of other health issues when you have chronically deprived sleep. So Jackie Wright believes the health issues are related to being exposed to a meth house, although she can't definitively rule out other environmental factors. Even so, I bet you were pleased to be well suited up when you were in that Christchurch house. I certainly was, but I was also quite relieved to take it all off again at the end and get out into the fresh air. Now what happens now is that those black bags that I have inside, I put all the rubbish in that and then dispose of it. We, we take all the rubbish off site. OK, so we'll take, the take, take the gloves off. They're quite um, clammy now. I've oh. obviously sweated quite a bit inside. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it gets worse when you've got two sets on, but okay. the joys of doing this job. He must have seen some sights then at different houses. Yeah, he sure has. Graham says he does enjoy being able to provide information to homeowners, you know, so they can make good decisions. But admittedly, after 10 years of house inspections, he's never quite sure what he's going to find. There was a, a property where I was only doing a baseline at that stage. But one could really tell that the, the owner of the property had a huge problem because there was lots of needles lying around, there's lots of paraphernalia lying around. Um, so you could really tell from the, right from the outset that there was going to be an issue there. It's gonna rock you till you're down on your knees. It's gonna have you begging pretty please. Gonna... So Katie, where to next on the meth trail? Right, now we're off to Hamilton to meet Graham Corbin from Hills Laboratories. He's also on the Standards New Zealand Committee and he's one of the guys who analyses what's in the samples. Here's a, a, a wipe here. You can see it's got a fair bit of uh, muck and dust on it, but um, it might have some methamphetamine on it as well. So those testing kits that you were using back in the Christchurch house, they came from this lab? That's right, and the swabs come back here to Graham Corbin and his colleagues. So first they extract any meth and precursors from the wipe, and then you remember the really sensitive instruments that Nick Kim talked about? The one that can detect tiny levels of methamphetamine, yep. That's the one. So that's where we're heading now. We go upstairs to the instrument lab where the actual concentrations are analysed. This is an LC triple quad, it's a half a million dollar piece of analytical technology and it's able to be very, very specific when it analyses methamphetamine and wipe samples. 
So what happens when the methamphetamine molecules come into the detector is that they get fragmented by a beam of electrons. They fragment in a certain way. We select one of those fragments and then we hit it again with another beam of electrons and then that's what we're detecting. So by the time we've analysed a fragment of a fragment of methamphetamine, it's very, very specific to methamphetamine and we haven't found any other compound that behaves in exactly the same way. And that's why we can be so confident that when we say there's meth in the swipe, there's meth in the wipe. What sort of results do they get? Well, in about five years of analysis, Graham Corbin says there have been some real standout moments. Occasionally we look at a result and it's one of the highest that we've ever seen and, and this happened earlier on this year where we had a result of 8,000 micrograms of methamphetamine on a wipe. And when that happens, it is a bit of a wow moment and we all um, stand around and <laughs> call each other in and have a look at, um, at the result because it's such a, a staggering amount of uh, methamphetamine. That's a lot of meth. And as you say, there are a lot of people working in the industry. So I assume the lab's dealing with more and more cases? Yeah, well, not every day is an 8,000 microgram day, but Graham Corbin says more people are wanting to test their homes, and he's concerned about the number of positive results. It is alarmingly high, I think. And then I think the figure was uh, 16% is over 1.5. So even if the uh, Ministry of Health guideline was reviewed and increased, there is still a, a very significant portion of those results that would exceed that. So you've been telling us about the science of sampling and analysis, Katie, but can science tell us definitively how much meth in a property is harmful? Well, look, we've heard a range of views on what a safe amount might be. The Ministry's obviously recently revised its figures, but really it's up to the Standards Committee to make that final call. So in the meantime, if you're a homeowner, it's still a little hard to know what to do, isn't it? Well, it is. It's true. We often assume that science is about absolutes and that it's going to provide a clear answer. But as someone working with homeowners, Miles Stratford says he's very wary about ever saying a house is absolutely safe. The question that you've just asked is the question that everybody's got, and it's the hardest one to answer. Is it safe? And I think what we find is that people in the wider community are looking for that certainty to have that definitive, this is safe. Uh, and obviously from a science point of view, it's very, very hard um, to do that. I'll give you an example of a couple who were looking to rent a property in the Bay of Plenty. Uh, the levels that uh, were identified post-remediation were at sort of 0.3 and 0.2. So therefore, within that currently acceptable guideline level, and they asked, can I you know, categorically confirm that the property is safe for them to move into with their newborn baby? Well, nobody can categorically confirm that. Um, and it doesn't matter who they're asking that question of, whether they are the most qualified scientists in the world or um, ourselves with a whole bunch of experience trying to help people out. But that is the question that what people want answered. And, and the only answer to that one is, um, well, it's within the guideline levels. Those guideline levels are health protective uh, and it's believed to be well within the levels that uh, will cause any adverse health effects. But can I categorically say it's safe? And the answer to that one is still no. What did the young couple end up doing? They chose not to rent the property because they couldn't get that definitive answer. But with this new standard coming in, looks like help's on the way? That's right, and now everyone waits, as Nick Kim puts it, with bated breath for a decision. And Standards New Zealand hopes to have a draft out for public consultation soon. 
Just before we go, what have you done with that delightful mask, Katie? Well, rest assured, I still have it. It's here at the RNZ offices in Christchurch. It's ready for its next foray into the world of volatile organic compounds. But, you know, Alison, if you want it, I'm happy to send it up. Cheers, Katie. <laughs> this episode of The Science Of was produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett. With me, Alison Balance. It was edited by William Saunders and the executive producer was Tim Watkin. If you enjoyed it, please rate us or write a review on iTunes. Or Spotify, and you should also check out our other great podcasts. Or look for them on our website, rnz.co.nz. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.